Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So we continue our sermon series, Faith That Works. Um, Over these last couple of weeks, we've looked at how tests and trials are inevitable, and that when we find ourselves in those tests and trials, we need to be on the lookout um, for the devil just whispering in our ear, tempting us to, to various things that we need to lean in to God, that we might be protected through our daily reading of the Bible and spending time with God in prayer, that we are nurturing our faith and strengthening it so that it will go to work on our behalf. And it's interesting, James closes out this opening part of his letter by highlighting what he sees as a, a genuine Christianity. Because James concludes that it's not only about spending time in daily prayer and daily Bible reading in isolation, but that it must inspire us into action, that we might put what we are reading and learning and being prompted to into practice, and that it's important that we get the balance of that right. And that can be challenging because each of us will have a tendency to, to, to go one way or the other. On the one hand, we might find it more natural to, to spend time reading the Scriptures, wrestling with the words that are in there. Some of us might have been weird enough and wanted to learn the, the Greek and the Hebrew to go and look at the context and the, the history and the secrets that are contained in the meaning of the Scriptures. But the danger of spending a lot of time solely doing that is that we forget sometimes to put it into practice, the things that we're reading. That it becomes like an academic exercise to us. We find in the Gospel passage this morning a group of people who had made an academic exercise out of the Word of God, and Jesus rebukes them. He says, you know the Scriptures in your head, but you don't necessarily know them in your heart. You've not found yourself transformed enough to put these things into action. It's the same with prayer. We might spend a lot of time speaking with God but just for ourselves. Not taking what God is prompting us to and putting it into action. But equally, there are some of us who naturally gravitate to the practical work of the kingdom, but don't necessarily spend too much time, if any, in prayer or reading the Scriptures, looking to understand what they mean. Or indeed, 
thinking about the reason why we are doing these good works. There's a wonderful author and speaker called Simon Sinek, and one of his books encourages us to know our why, that each of us will, will have a why, why we do certain things. Because the thing is, you can, you can learn how to do a job. You can learn how to do certain things. But the thing that gets you up and ready to go in the morning is when you understand your why, the purpose of why you are wanting to get up. So the one thing that we all look for in life is purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And Simon Sinek says that that should be the pursuit, that we understand what our why is, and that will inspire us in those times where we get tired. We might have all the head knowledge of how to do a, a particular job, but we might not always be feeling all that inspired to do it. But when we've figured out our reason for being, and when we understand our why, we are able to go above and beyond a, a normal job. And as Christians, we, I believe, have the greatest why available. Our greatest why is our Lord Jesus, that we understand what he's done for us, that we too want to go and serve other people, that once we've understood our why, we might be able to go and put into practice the things that we read and the inspiration that we come from God through the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, neither approach is better or worse. Whether you are spending a lot of time in Scripture, in prayer, and not putting it into action, or putting it all into action and not spending too much time in Scripture or prayer, neither approach is better or worse than the other but we need to ensure that we are getting ourselves into that middle place, a better balance. And it's interesting that, that James uses this idea of planting or sowing seeds. And I have a, an apology to make. When I had my sermon two weeks ago, when I spoke to you about the Chinese bamboo tree, I said planting seeds. And John Shaw very helpfully said to me, you don't plant seeds, Neil. And I said, oh, what do you do with seeds? He says, you sow seeds. You plant plants and you plant trees, but you sow seeds. But here is James speaking to us in verse 21, where he says that the implanted word of God, that God has sown something into our heart. A bit like that. Chinese bamboo tree that I was speaking about takes time, needs us to nurture it so that it will sprout and grow strong. James reminds us that this, this thing has been planted in us, into our hearts, and we're called to nurture it. But then he goes on to use another analogy, the analogy of a mirror, that the word is like a mirror. And after we've read it, we should be able to reflect God's nature and love to the world. And the thing is, when James would have written this, there was no such thing as a, a photograph. In fact, mirrors were probably reserved for the, for the well-to-do people. 
Some people might never have really seen their own reflection. Maybe in, the, in a river or, or in, a, in a, a basin, but it would have been distorted with ripples and various things, never really truly seeing what they look like. James says that hearers of the word who aren't inspired to act upon it are like those who have seen themselves in the mirror, walk away, and immediately forget what they look like. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look in the mirror in the morning, I'm not looking all that intently. And I certainly don't want to look at it for too long. But in verse 25, James says that those who look at God's word intently, or in our translation, persevere with it, will be blessed in their doing. That we spend time in God's Word, looking into the mirror, seeing what God wants us to be. The thing is, the reason we would look into a mirror is that to ensure that we are presentable to the world, or at the very least, everything is in the the right place. And the more time we we spend in the Bible, we begin to understand more deeply the promises of God, the challenges that are placed before us, the call in our lives, and ultimately being built to reflect and present God's love and glory to the rest of the world around us. we do that, we then move past that opportunity of being described as hypocrites, just like Jesus refers to those in the synagogue in their passage from Luke. Like what we say and what we do must match up. And the question that we're left asking ourselves is, when I spend time looking into the mirror, are the things that I'm doing with my life the things that God is calling me to and wants for my life. For James, the Scriptures should be something that transforms us. Not just a a list of rules and, and regulations to ruin our fun, but when we hear the word law or rule or regulation, we immediately think of them as negative that it's somehow our liberty will be encroached upon, that our freedom might be squashed, that all the fun will be taken out of it. And I love in one of N.T. Wright's commentaries where he uses the the analogy of, of having a car, that the law is there to keep us and others safe when it comes to driving our car. We might have to sacrifice a little bit of our freedom to ensure that everyone is safe. We might need to put a seatbelt on. We get told what speed to drive at. Some are better than others at keeping to that. We're told to drive on the the left-hand side of the road. And I remember seeing photographs of when cars were first being introduced into America. 
And it was absolute carnage. There was no idea of having to be on one side of the road or the other. There were no seat belts. There was just cars strewn all over the place. They were all crashing into each other. God has given us rules and, and regulations, not to steal our fun, but to free us from, from chaos, to ensure the, 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 the greater flourishing of, of all people, us and others. James uses a, a very specific example of something that we should follow in verse 26, where he says, if anything they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. This is almost a proverb. There are many proverbs in the Scriptures. We find it in Solomon's book. But there are so many others in the world that we'll have heard. We sayings like, a stitch in time saves nine. A rolling stone gathers no moss. My gran used to use loads of these. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have a clue half the time what she was talking about. But there is one. There's one that she used to use. And she did it from a place of, of well-meaning. She did genuinely think that she was comforting us. And that is, sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me. I'm not sure that's true at all. Sure, we break our bones and it'll hurt, and they'll heal over time. But being called names or being bullied, that's something that can stick around for a, a long, long time. I remember being called an underachiever when I was seven years old by a teacher. I was in primary three and I was called an underachiever. I was still near the top of the class, but she thought I should have been top of the class. So I was an underachiever. And I carried that around for a long, long time. But I stand here nearly 40 this morning and I certainly don't feel like an underachiever. This is a privilege to be here. And I'm married to a wonderful woman. I've overachieved in my life. I'm not an underachiever. But that's something that I carried for a very, very long time. Our words matter. And I'm not sure that that proverb is actually true. Words do hurt. So let's focus on what James is saying here at the end of this section. We need to keep a tight rein on our tongues. James uses this idea of a, a bridle in the mouth. Horses have that bridle in their mouth so they can be directed and, and guided to places. What James is saying is we need to ensure that our tongues are being guided by God, not our own self. It's important that what we say and what we do are in sync with one another. And that requires being led by God always. And the thing is, we don't need to look too far to see people being dragged through the mud. The media are brilliant at it, and they can be absolutely brutal 
ruining people's careers and lives. And the problem is that can happen in the church too. We see it in the church too. And James is addressing this because clearly it is an issue for the people that he is writing to. But it happens right to this very day. Many church leaders and members of congregations whose lives are ruined by the words of others, and not just others, but other Christian brothers and sisters. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about those who have had their their lives or their careers ruined in the church by people who have spoke up when it was right to do it, people who have committed crimes, and indeed politicians and celebrities and church leaders through their own inappropriate behavior. They weren't ruined by people speaking up. They ruined their own, their own reputations by their own actions. But I'm talking about people who have had their lives ruined by others because they held a, a set of beliefs or, or they had said something that, that this other person didn't like, that they didn't agree with. And unfortunately, there are too many church leaders and members who haven't taken heed of that. That as James is saying here, that we need to keep a rein on our tongues. I mean, many church leaders who have appointed themselves the sole judge and failed to look into their own lives. Forgetting that they have an absolute privilege and a platform to speak or to write. Their number one priority should be let those who are listening and or reading know about God's love for them. That's their number one priority and that that love was shown in the person, ministry and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And of course, as Christian brothers and sisters, we should be looking to help others. And of course, we should highlight behaviors that are, that are harmful to our brothers and sisters, but not from a place of judgment, from a place of love. And whether someone is different to you, whether you agree or you disagree with someone's politics or their lifestyle or their choices, it's not our place to judge anyone. We're only called to reflect that love of God to people because we all come under the same judgment of God, the only one who can judge us. And it's not about agreeing with, with every behavior or choice, but it's about loving people. It's not about forcing our beliefs, our thoughts, our preferences onto other people, and certainly not forcing them to follow Jesus. We don't have the power to do that. It's only through their own free will that they will be able to make that choice. We are called to tell them about Jesus. If we tell people that God is a God of love, but our actions and our words say otherwise, why would they ever believe us? It's a wonderful quote from Billy Graham, where he says that we are the Bibles that the world reads. We are the Bibles that the world reads. What a responsibility. See, verse 27, as James 
is closing out this part of the letter, but he speaks of what a genuine Christianity should look like, a pure and undefiled religion or Christianity. And he says, we take care of widows and orphans. James is highlighting two groups of people that were the most vulnerable in society at that time. And even to this very day, those two groups find themselves in a very vulnerable position in parts of our world. You see, in the society that James is writing to, orphans had no right to family heirlooms. They maybe had no idea whose family line they were part of, which was a big deal in Judaism, that you could trace your way back through your genealogy. And widows in a, in a very patriarchal society lost their material security. James is reminding them that when you read God's Word, that you're to go and love and serve other people, you need to act upon it when you read that. And that's a message for the church today just as much as it was a message to them back then. And the thing is, the list, the list of vulnerable people seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger as every year passes. Those who are considered social outcasts, people moved to the fringes with no one to advocate on their behalf. Jesus went to those margins, and we're called to do that too. This has been Refugee Week this week. People who find themselves displaced for a, a vast number of reasons. War, persecution, famine, dictatorships. They find themselves displaced from their home, seeking safety. And at our prayer meeting on Wednesday, there was a question that was thrown out. And there's no judgment in this question, but the question was, how many people knew that it was Refugee Week last week? It certainly wasn't made a big deal of in the media. In fact, they can sometimes be part of the problem. And this is my own personal view here. But there is a term that is used that I think is absolutely despicable in the media when they're referring to those who have found themselves displaced from their own home when they're referred to as illegal immigrants. No human being should ever be referred to as illegal. When we do not know the circumstances of why people are finding themselves so far away from their home, putting themselves and their families at risk, and the media, when they trot out that phrase, it really hurts me that in a, a civilized society, we wouldn't look to extend our hand to other human beings. We're called to love all people, not just but with words, but with our actions. And the world needs to hear and be shown that God loves them. And if you remember anything from this morning, let it be the Billy Graham quote. We 
are the Bibles that the world reads. Not everyone will buy or read the Bible, but they'll certainly read us. When we are out there, they will be able to read us. James is reminding us of that as he closes out this first part of his letter, that we are mindful that if we are reading the words of the Scriptures, then we need to be transformed, and it should inspire us to action, to be more like Jesus every single day. That we don't find ourselves in that position of those in the synagogue when Jesus calls them hypocrites. You see, those religious leaders, they knew the law, they knew the words of the Scriptures. They knew them in their heads. But Jesus was challenging them to see that God's Word needs to be in our hearts also. That when they see the situation that is in front of them, a woman in need of healing, that they wouldn't immediately look to say, can you go away and come back tomorrow? That you act upon it immediately. That God wants to use us to share his love with the world. That we might share the compassion that God has shown us and extend it to others. That through our faith going to work, once we've nurtured it and letting it go to work, we find ourselves practicing a genuine Christianity. Shall we pray? Father, we are sorry for those times where we have not allowed the words of Scripture to, to get into our hearts. And we're sorry for those times where we've acted without consulting your word first. Help us to bring a better balance. Help us that our words and our actions would be in sync. And that we would be constantly guided by you. We pray that by your spirit, we would be inspired. We pray that by your spirit, we would be transformed becoming more like Jesus each and every day. Help us to go to the margins like he did. Help us to make sacrifices and understand the direction that you're wishing us to go. So would you be with us this week as we go out into the world? Would you help us to love and serve your people in the way that you have loved and served us. All this we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.